Chapter 8, Parkside Perry Not thirty minutes later, Perry was sitting on a bench on the southwest corner of Central Park, just off 59th and Broadway. Horse carriages made their way by every few minutes as tourists and young couples were driven through the park. The last of the rides would be ending soon, he knew, as few tourists would dare venture into the park this late in the evening, even in the relative safety of the back of a horse carriage. It was now 8.47 p.m. and Perry had been in this spot for almost an hour. He'd hoped to get the lay of the land before his impromptu meeting. If he was lucky, he'd be the first to arrive. He was, however, at a disadvantage, as he did not know who it was he was searching for. The woman, presumably, would recognize him. A few yards to the right, there were three homeless men asleep near another park bench. A security guard stood outside the front entrance of a hotel across the street. There was a steady stream of tourists stopping for pictures in front of the fountain at Columbus Circle, as well as the steady flow of commuters spilling out of the subway entrances every time a new train arrived. Perry noticed no one, however, who looked too conspicuous. Nothing out of the norm, he decided. That seemed absurd a thing to think, of course, as the streets were overrun with people who dressed and behaved in ways that Perry Penderwinkle wouldn't consider normal in any conventional sense. But there was no one, at least not yet, who seemed to be inspecting the surrounding blocks with Perry's same level of interest. Another twenty minutes passed while Perry continued to watch the various passers-by. He checked his watch. It was 9.08 p.m., the wind had picked up and a slight drizzle was beginning to fall. An umbrella, Perry thought. Couldn't have grabbed an umbrella then, Perry, old chap. He flipped up the collar of his jacket and fastened the top two buttons in a futile attempt to protect himself from the rain. All the while, another crowd of people were spat out of the subway exits. As if performing a choreographed dance number one after another, the commuters would step up out of the stairwell, immediately opening their umbrellas. In a matter of seconds, Columbus Circle was filled with umbrellas, their owners holding them aloft as they hastily weaved around one another, dodging this way and that, racing toward wherever it was they were all going in such a hurry. Perry was mesmerized by this unexpected spectacle, momentarily forgetting his purpose for being here when, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a figure standing just a few feet to his left. Perry turned with a start and saw a woman in a long brown overcoat and hood staring directly at him. Her face was partially obscured in shadow as she was positioned with her back to the nearest streetlight. She stood motionless, still as a statue. Mr. Penderwinkle, she said. It was not a question. She recognized him. He studied her face as best he could, but in the darkness he did not recognize her. Yes, Perry confirmed, a tinge of warning in his voice. Now who are you? The woman took a step forward, the street lights revealing her face, but it was a face that Perry did not know. The woman looked to be in her fifties or early sixties. She had short, cropped hair, a brunette with streaks of grey at the temples. He had never seen her before. He was certain of it. She smiled and then sat down next to him, extending her hand. Mr. Penderwinkle, my name is Philippa. We've not met before, if that's what you're wondering, she reassured him. But we have a mutual acquaintance, as I mentioned in my letter, she continued. Well, 
two acquaintances, if you catch my meaning. Suppose I don't, offered Perry. And let's get to the point, if you don't mind, shall we? Enough of this hullabaloo. I've come here, like you asked, in the rain and in the dark, no less. What is it you want? Perry demanded crankily. Marcus Ingram and Marjorie Anderson. Well, Marjorie Penderwinkle, I should say. Perry Penderwinkle did not blink. He stared at Philippa, his face unflinching as he awaited what she would say next. I knew them both, you see, right up until Marjorie's untimely demise. The woman looked away at the mention of Marjorie's death. She brought a hand to her face. Now those tears. And Marcus, well, he's who I've come to speak with you about, Philippa said, turning back toward Perry as she spoke. There was a look of warning in her eyes when she said, with a whisper, Marcus has escaped. For a moment, Perry thought his heart had stopped beating. So utterly shocked was he by the words he'd just heard spoken. Then he felt his heart beating again, more quickly. There was a pain growing in his chest, and the edges of his vision grew blurry. The world around him went silent. Was he having a heart attack? Fainting? He could see Philippa's mouth moving, her arms waving at him in futility. Marcus escaped. Perry Penderwinkle sunk down onto the bench as the world around him went dark. Chapter 9 Penderwinkle Perspirates Perry's eyes opened slowly, groggily. He adjusted the wool blanket wrapped around him, pulling it up to his neck. It was too chilly in here. He must have forgotten to close one of the windows in the apartment. He reached his left hand over toward the nightstand to turn on the light, but try as he might, he could not seem to find the lamp in the darkness. As he waited for his eyes to adjust, he got the feeling that something was off. For starters, he noticed that his room was considerably darker than usual. Perhaps a street light has gone out, but even so, that wouldn't explain it being this dark, he thought. Something was not right. Perry Penderwinkle stood up out of bed. He could now make out the silhouette of one of the room's windows. He shuffled his way over, feeling as if he was maneuvering through his bedroom for the very first time. Everything felt off. The room seemed cramped. The street was much quieter as well. Was he dreaming? Perry pulled back the window's curtains and peered through the blinds. And what he saw set off alarm bells in his head immediately. The street he looked out on was not his own. He didn't even recognize it. Perry was not in his apartment. But if he was not at his apartment, then where was he? Memory came flooding back to Perry Penderwinkle. The park, the meeting, the woman, the revelation about Marcus. And then he had fainted. Or was it a heart attack? Surely not the latter, for he felt perfectly well now. So he had fainted. But where was he now? And how had he gotten here? Perry suddenly considered the possibility that he may not be alone in this house. He could feel the sweat on the back of his neck as he stood motionless next to the window. With the curtains drawn, the room was now lit enough that he could see the bed, a small desk, and a chest of drawers. The door leading out of the room was cracked open only a few inches, and not enough for Perry to see what lay beyond. Perry tentatively opened the door, which opened onto a hallway, at the end of which appeared to be a living room and kitchen. Dim, golden light spilled out from the living room. 
Where it came from, Perry could not see from his vantage point. He guessed it was a small table lamp. Someone was likely awake then. There appeared to be no other exit but through the living room, and after looking out the window in his room, he saw that he was at least ten or fifteen flights up. There was no other choice but to go through the living room. Penderwinkle checked his watch. 3.32 a.m. If he was lucky, perhaps whoever else was here had slipped off to sleep. There was only one way to be certain. With the utmost caution, Perry traversed the hallway. He kept close to the wall as he approached the living room. This was for two reasons. First, so that he was less likely to step on the more worn, creaky sections of the floor that lay in the middle of the hall. Second, if someone got up and happened to glance in his direction, there was a chance they might not see him hiding in the shadows, pressed against the wall. He was almost to the end of the hall now, and he stopped just short of the room. From this new vantage point, he could see more of the house. Apartment, really. There was a small kitchen to Perry's left, which opened into the main living room. A round wooden table with two chairs separated the two spaces. Perry could see a door on the kitchen wall to the far left. There was a bolt and lock on this one. That would be the way out. To the right was the living room. The wall directly in front of him had floor-to-ceiling bookshelves that ran from the edge of the kitchen into the living room. He could see just the back edge of a small leather sofa facing in toward the rest of the living room. The room continued on to the right, likely with a window facing out onto the street. Perry now had a decision to make. Did he peek out his head from the hallway and check to see what else lay in this room, or did he make a dash for the front door hoping he could unlock the door and be out of the building before anyone noticed. Perry Penderwinkle did not have the chance to decide. He heard the sound of someone shifting in a chair, and then the distinct sound of someone setting down a cup of tea on its plate. Mr. Penderwinkle, do you plan on staying in the hallway, or would you like to come in and have a spot of tea with me in the living room? said a familiar female voice. I think we have more to discuss if you're feeling up to it. Perry did not know whether to be comforted or worried by the fact that it was Philippa who had brought him here, wherever here was. How had she gotten him here? More importantly, why had she brought him here? Was he being kidnapped? He stepped out into the living room for the first time, finding Philippa in a tan sweatsuit and slippers. She sipped away at her tea as she sat in a leather armchair, reading a stack of papers. She seemed only mildly interested in his presence. Perry cleared his throat, and she looked up, gesturing for him to sit down on the sofa in front of her. There was a teapot and empty cup sitting on the coffee table next to it. "'Help yourself, Mr. Penderwinkle,' insisted Philippa, as she stacked the papers and placed them in a folder on the small table next to her. "'Are you feeling better? You were very close to falling right off that bench and onto your head. You're lucky you didn't crack your skull open.' Philippa chided him. Perry poured himself a spot of tea, carefully tasting the liquid. Not bad. I've had worse, he thought. He took another drink, then returned to the conversation at hand. This woman was altogether far too unperturbed by this strange situation for his liking. He still knew almost nothing about her. He did not know who she was or where she was from. He knew very little about her, aside from her claim that she'd known both Marjorie 
and Marcus. I'm fine, thank you. Where am I? he answered. Philippa seemed unfazed by this question. You're in Brooklyn, she said, an area I'm certain you've never heard of, she added in an uninterested tone. You passed out, and when I could not immediately wake you, I called a cab and brought you here. I told the driver you were drunk. And this place, this is your apartment? Perry inquired. For the time being, Mr. Penderwinkle, yes. I'm sure you have a lot of questions for me, but perhaps it would be best for me to tell you why I contacted you. You can hold your questions for the end, if you don't mind. It should save us some time, and I don't enjoy having to repeat myself, she instructed. Perry took another sip of tea, then nodded in agreement. Very good, Mr. Penderwinkle. As I stated earlier this evening, Marcus is no longer in custody. I was contacted a week ago, asking if I had any communications with him or knowledge of his whereabouts. For the record, I do not. Uh, but why... Perry began before remembering that he'd save his questions for the end. Apologies. Please continue. Thank you. For the record, I do not know Marcus Ingram's whereabouts, and I have had no communication with him since his trial. I assume from your confused expression that Marcus never informed you that he had a sister. I expect Marcus wouldn't have had much to say about me, as we led such different lives. I worked for many years as a schoolteacher, then at a small non-profit before I retired a few years ago. As to Marcus, well, I suspect you would know better than I the type of business he was up to. A sister. Perry almost couldn't believe it. He had known Marcus for years and had never heard mention of a sister. Of course, there were plenty of secrets that Marcus had kept from Perry. It appeared that this was just another of them, albeit a surprising one. And to have her living in America, in the same city as Perry, seemed beyond belief. Philippa continued. Now, I've told you how I know Marcus, but as I said before, I also knew Marjorie, your former wife, though I always knew her as Maggie. I met her some fifteen or sixteen years ago during a trip to visit my brother. He introduced her to me as someone who was a dear friend from college. Did they indeed go to college together? Philippa asked. No, Perry interjected. Certainly not. Marcus was at Oxford and Marjorie went to the University of Sheffield. I can't imagine any reason they'd spin such a yarn. I expect it was some prank or other that Marcus thought would be good for a laugh, Perry concluded sharply. I had suspected something of the sort, but was never certain. I got the impression that Marcus was trying to hide something from me. He was always quite secretive, of course. The nature of his work, I suppose. But what bothers me, Mr. Penderwinkle, is why Marcus would kill her, Marjorie. What reason could he have? she asked. What causes anyone to kill? Perry retorted. I'm sorry, but if you're hoping for an answer as to why Marcus murdered my wife, I'm afraid I don't have one. I've been asking myself that very same question since the day it happened. I'm afraid I still don't have an answer. Hmm, she said, her eyes narrowing. Of course, Mr. Penderwinkle, you can't be expected to know the mind of my brother, but am I wrong in believing that it was you who discovered him at your flat? Was it not you who apprehended him and notified the authorities? She continued, in a tone that sounded a bit too accusatory for Perry's liking. What is it that you are suggesting, Miss Ingram? That Marcus confessed to me? Perhaps you think that in a moment of regret, after he shot Marjorie dead, that he confided in me, told me why he killed her? Utter nonsense. 
Marcus was drunk when I found him. Incoherent. Not in his right mind. He could barely stand on his own two feet. Ask him why he did it, and he claims to have no memory of the incident. I think it more likely that Marcus had a bit too much to drink and then headed to my flat for some reason or another, probably to see me. I suspect you already know that he was an angry and sometimes violent drunk. It seems that whatever happened that day at the flat, Marcus was in one of his drunken rages, and Marjorie, unfortunately, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Perry concluded his speech, letting out a long sigh before setting down his tea and leaning back into the sofa. Philippa Ingram was looking off into the kitchen when he finished speaking. She seemed to be thinking over what Perry had just said. Her brow furrowed, her eyes squinted as she took another drink of tea. An act of random drunken violence, then, she said almost to herself. Nothing premeditated. It very well could have been anyone else at the receiving end of his rage that day. Even you, she replied, though the last sentence seemed just as much a question as a statement. Yes, even me, Perry agreed. But why come to your house in the first place, I wonder? Philippa continued. Had there been a quarrel or falling out? I can't imagine what could cause my Marcus to become so incensed. Ah, he thought. She still thinks there is more that I am not telling her. She was right, of course. But Perry had no intention of admitting it. Not to her, nor to anyone. The story was far more complex than poor Philippa realized. It was far more complex than all but Perry and Marcus realized. And now that Marcus was out of prison, Perry was faced with the distinct possibility that his entire world could come crashing down around him. Marcus would come looking for him, and this did not bode well for Perry Penderwinkle. Neither can I, Miss Ingram, Penderwinkle said in agreement. Neither can I.